I don't like having to start my sermons off in a very heavy way. Usually I like to start as, you know, with some sort of funny story or interesting observation to get us all loosened up. Uh, But when I heard about everything that happened yesterday in El Paso, Texas, and then when I turned on my phone this morning and found out what happened overnight in Dayton, Ohio, I realized that I needed to make sure that I addressed this subject immediately in the sermon this morning. We can't pretend like these things aren't happening. We can't just ignore it. And we need to acknowledge the heavy hearts that we carry with us in worship this morning. And for me, I'm starting to just feel a sense of real despair about the whole thing. Because these events, these mass shootings keep happening and nothing ever changes. I have so much that I want to say just about how angry and overwhelmed I'm feeling. But frankly, it's all been said before already when the last mass shooting took place. But what I do know and what I'm confident in and continue to take heart in the fact is that Jesus has a better way. And that more than anything else, that's what we need to focus on here this morning. We can acknowledge the pain and the grief that we feel, but we all have to come back to again and again the fact that Jesus has a better way. A better way for us to live, a better way for us to exist as a society. Jesus has a better way, and it is a way that is completely counter to the sense of despair that we might feel. Jesus doesn't want us to be killing each other. Jesus doesn't want us to be rallying against immigrants in hopes of perpetuating the sin of white supremacy in this country. Jesus doesn't want our world to be run by just a few people with a lot of money. And as we'll see in our gospel passage this morning, one of the issues that Jesus is addressing that relates to all of this, mind you, Jesus will talk to us about how we can't let our lives be run by money and possessions. All of these themes are linked, church, and connected. And the hopeful thread is that Jesus has a better way for all of it. That's what I've titled this sermon, Jesus Has a Better Way, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Please join me in a word of prayer. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Open up those Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And if you would rise as we read the gospel passage together, we rise out of respect for the word living amongst us at this time. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store all my crops? And then he said, I will do this. 
I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to this man, you fool, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Church, this is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you may know, I was on vacation this past week. And during that time, I had the wonderful, distinct, incredible pleasure of playing many, 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 many board games with my children. I shouldn't say that we played many, many board games because actually we played just one board game many times. It was one that was new to my children, but not at all new to me. What game, you ask, made up such a large portion of my family vacation? The game of life. Oh, yes. The game of life. Just in case you're not familiar or you need to be reacquainted, here's a brief refresher on how the game of life works. You get to choose a little colored car and you put your little person in the colored car and then you move your way around the game board. And each space has some sort of message upon it. But what you're really doing is you're traversing through different life passages. And so at some point you have to stop and get married. And at some point you have to stop and buy a house. And at other points you have to change careers or buy insurance for your home or your auto. It's, it's very realistic in some ways. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I noticed as I was making my way through the game of life again and again and again. As a child, I remembered loving this game. But now as an adult, I was sort of uh, offended in a lot of ways by the message that this game was sending my children. Because in the game of life, the rules state very clearly that the person who wins is the one who has the most money at the end. Let that sink in for a second. In the game of life, the person who wins is the one with the most money in the end. And the game is actually even a little bit more disturbing than that. Because as you move around the game board and you land on these different spaces, eventually you might come across one that will say, you know, collect a life token. And now these little life tokens have to remain hidden for the whole game. You don't get to look at them until the very end when everyone's counting up all their money. But these little life tokens, what they have when you flip them over, is some sort of message about an accomplishment that your little character had during the course of their life. And these accomplishments, they're funny things. It says something like, invent new ice cream flavor, or hike the Grand Canyon, or cure the common cold. And so at the end of the game, you're flipping all these over and you're saying, look at what an accomplished, successful, fulfilling life I've had. But again, remember, I told you, the game of life is all about the character with the most money in the end. And so these little life tokens, they actually have an an amendment after all of this. There's more than just the little message about what you might have accomplished in your life. No, of course, there is also a dollar amount. And so these little tokens will say something like, write best-selling novel, collect $10,000. Run a marathon, collect $20,000. Design new sneaker, collect $30,000. My point is this, the game of life has a very clear message that it's trying to send. 
Who cares if you contribute to society or make the world a better place? All that matters is that you have the most money in the end. Now, I admit that I'm probably being unnecessarily tough on this children's game because, frankly, I'm just really sick of playing it. But, church, it's not just the game of life that sends us this message. Because my children happily played through this game again and again and again and were never perplexed by what they were seeing in the game of life. It just made sense to them that, yeah, the person with the most money is the one who wins in the end. They haven't even finished elementary school and they've already learned this truth that our society is trying to tell them. Church, money controls our lives. It controls our politics. It controls what can and cannot be changed in our country. Make no mistake, the reason that we keep hearing about these mass shootings is because there's something that exists called a gun lobby that keeps policy in place so that nothing changes. Maybe money doesn't control you as dramatically as it controls others, but we need to be honest with ourselves and admit that we all fall victim to this narrative that we hear in the world. We all start to believe that the game of life or our actual life is determined by how much money is in the bank. And what underlies all of this, too, is this sense of fear. This sense of fear that we will never have enough, that we don't have enough, that what we have will be taken away from us. That's how our relationship with money works. It's all fear-based. We're taught that possessions are what will make our life complete. Just work hard. Get that sports car or or that house or that computer or that phone. Get enough money so that you can get that possession and then everything will fall into place. But be honest with yourself. Has that ever actually worked for you? Has that ever actually worked even though you've set your sights on something that you really want to obtain and then you've actually done it and gotten it and and then it's just a sense of emptiness afterwards, isn't it? Every single time. In the gospel reading from Luke this morning, Jesus addresses this exact dynamic. Yes, he was talking to a man 2,000 years ago, but isn't it strange how applicable it is for us today in 2019? Jesus offers, I believe, one of his best lines in all of Scripture. I already gave it to our young people during the children's sermon, but I'll read it for you again. Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's another translation of the scriptures, and it reads like this. Just a different version of translating the original Greek. The way he translated it is, life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. Life, Jesus says, is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. Jesus directs this simple, concise phrase at a man who's asking for Jesus to fix a dispute that he's having within his family. You see, the custom in first century Judaism was for the oldest son to receive double the younger son's share of the inheritance. And so more than likely, this man who in the passage is coming to Jesus to settle some sort of dispute like that. He he doesn't feel like he's getting his fair shake. And so he goes to the local rabbi, Jesus, who happens to be passing through his town. And he says, hey, rabbi, fix this for me. Because the rule says I'm supposed to get my fair share. But Jesus seems totally uninterested in the whole thing. He says, why do you see me as the arbiter of this estate? And then he says, What I'm really worried about, sir, is 
the content of your life. Life is not defined by what you have, Jesus says, even if you have a lot of it. And so then Jesus goes on to tell a parable to the man about someone who stores up all their possessions. And if you look carefully at that parable, you'll notice how often the word I appears. The man in the parable is solely focused on himself. I will do this. I will build up a storehouse. I will have more space to handle all of the stuff that I'm acquiring. And then I will say to myself, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, be drink, eat, drink, and be merry, he says. It's all focused on the individual. And that is Jesus' critique of this whole mindset. Life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot, Jesus says, because, Jesus says, life is about relationships. If you store up a whole bunch of possessions, you're just storing up a whole bunch of dead objects. And what really matters is the way that you live with other people. Jesus is saying this to a man who's feuding with his brother, right? A man who is destroying a relationship over the inheritance, Jesus is trying to help that man see that it's not about if you get enough money, a bigger cut of the inheritance or not. What really matters is the relationship with your family. Think about how truly wise that is. How many families have been destroyed because people are bickering over the inheritance? Yeah, (laughs) can I get an amen to that? We have seen that again and again and again. This past week, I was at the, the cottage. My wife's family has a cottage. Um, in northern Michigan, and it's been in the family for generations, 90 years. And what everyone is worried about is when the matriarch of the family passes away, which one of the four children is going to get the cottage? And my wife put it so succinctly. She said, nothing like a place that has only happy memories and family ideals to, to then become a source of tension and ultimately destroy those relationships. This is something that happens again and again because we start to believe That the game of life is all about getting enough possessions, having enough money, getting our fair cut of the pie. How often do we see this in our world? And yet we have Jesus who comes and wants to show us, as I said, a better way, a better way to live. We're told that the game of life is all about having the most money in your pocket at the end of the day, but Jesus knows that our fixation on money is actually what's making us miserable. Jesus knows that our obsession with possessions is no way to live. We have a mindset problem, church. We're taught to think in a certain way from a very young age. And all that this thinking does is make us jealous and petty and, yes, fearful. Evil forces are at work in our world. And they are trying to convince us that a certain house or a certain car or a certain article of clothing or a certain vacation is going to be the thing that finally makes us happy and fulfilled. But the ugly truth is that chasing after all this stuff won't end up fulfilling us at all. Because as soon as we get what we've always wanted, we'll realize how foolish we've been. And then we'll just find something else to chase after. That's why the ultra-wealthy keep trying to protect and expand their wealth. It's why Apple knows they can sell you a new phone every six months. It's why fashion lines change every single season. And this might all seem innocent, but what undergirds all of it is a sense of fear. 
We are taught to be afraid that we're somehow going to miss out, that we somehow won't have enough. We're taught to be afraid that we're always going to feel this unhappy. And so because we're fearful, we go chasing after whatever the latest advertising agency has told us to chase after. Church, it's a mindset problem. It's a mindset problem that cycles and continues and is true again and again and again, just with different characters and moving parts. It's a cycle of fear. This obsession with stuff. It's no way to live. It's not what God has in mind. And as I've been saying, Jesus has a better way. Jesus wants us to live, church. Really and truly live. He doesn't want us sleepwalking through life. He doesn't want us chasing after cars and houses and boats and other dead objects. Jesus wants us to really live. It it says in John very clearly, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. He didn't say, I came that you might have life and an abundance of possessions. He wants us to really live in an experience of fullness and an abundance of life that can only be found when we connect with God and when we connect with one another. Jesus wants us to really live. No more ruined families because the inheritance isn't split the way you were hoping. No more marriages destroyed because you couldn't stop shopping on QVC. No more people trampled to death just to get a good deal on Black Friday. No more living in fear that you don't have enough stuff or that you don't have the right stuff. Life, Jesus says, is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot of it. Do you know what is the most repeated phrase in the entire Bible? This is a fun little nugget for you. The phrase that appears more than any other phrase in the entire Bible is fear not. Fear not, the angels say. Fear not, God says to the Israelites again and again. Fear not, Jesus says to you and to me. As I've said, our obsession with money and stuff is actually just an obsession with fear. And Jesus says that it's time to stop. On the cross, Jesus took all of our fears upon himself. He carried all our burdens. He held all our pain. He saw all the ways that we were letting fear run our life, and he put them to death. All too often, we trivialize the cross, right? We we treat it just like another possession. It's a nice necklace. It's a nice thing that we hang on our wall. But the truth is, is that the cross is the place where Christ encountered all of our fear. On the cross, Jesus seems to have failed in his ministry. On the cross, he has been betrayed and abandoned. On the cross, he has been left with nothing and he is dying alone. All of our worst fears are right there, church. Fears about failure, fears about betrayal, fears about abandonment and loneliness and death. All those fears are hanging on the cross that day, church, but they're hanging up there to be displayed before us. They were nailed to the cross because God was putting them to death for our sake. Fear not, God says. Fear not, my people, because there is a better way. I am giving you an entirely new way of life. Through the cross, church, our fears are destroyed. Through the cross, we're invited into a new way of living. I know that at times it might seem like you don't have a lot. But fear not, church, because through the cross, we already have all that we need. We have Jesus, and we have his new way of living. 
where relationships and the simple blessings of each day are valued over and above any possessions or money or stuff. Fear not, church, because Jesus, in Jesus there's a better way to live. Fear not, church, because there is bigger hope for our world. Fear not, church, because your life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot of it. Fear not, church, because your life is defined by what Jesus did for you on the cross that day. Thanks be to God for this better way of life. Amen.